It was the first day of the week, in the month the Jews called Nisan, in the year of the Romans, 788. In the solemn stillness of the pre-dawn darkness, several grief-stricken women quietly gathered together their vessels of sweet spices and went forth to minister to their dead. The great city of Jerusalem was asleep. Swiftly and silently their sandaled feet felt their way along the narrow, empty, cobblestone streets west of the temple until they had reached the tiny night gate in the towering city wall. Quickly the women slipped through the low aperture and were swallowed in the labyrinth of darkness beyond. Nearby to the north lay the grim mass of weathered cliffs called Golgotha. As the women approached the ugly hill, the first gray light of the coming dawn obscurely revealed the deep black blotches along the cliffs, which outlined the countenance of a skull. It was these peculiar markings which gave the hill its evil name, but it was also an evil place, chosen by the Roman rulers for the crucifixion of convicted criminals. The women did not intend to ascend Golgotha, their dead was no longer there. On Friday afternoon, scarcely an hour before the Jewish Sabbath had commenced, they had seen the limp corpse of their loved one hauled down from the Roman cross. His death had come as a great relief. For seemingly endless hours, they had watched terrified and helpless while he hung in tortured agony on the cruel spikes of Rome's most devilish device designed to inflict a slow, suffering death. They had stood by him during the three hours of earthquake and darkness. They had watched the cruel thorns with their poisoned barbs buried in his brow. They had heard him cry out with a loud voice as he reached the climax of his terrible anguish. Then they had seen him collapse as he gave up the ghost. Later, they had cringed as they watched the Roman soldier plunge a spear into the dead body and they had seen the blood and water gush forth from the wound in his side. With the hours of agony gone, they had watched with wonderment as two distinguished members of the great Sanhedrin council had come with white linen expensive myrrh and a removal permit from Pilate. In many ways, it was a strange scene. Here was Nicodemus, who in former times had sought the advice of Jesus by night. Now he had come with a hundred weight of myrrh and perfumed aloe wood. And here was Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple of Christ, who had not consented to the council when the Sanhedrin sentenced Jesus to death. As soon as the end drew near, he had gone to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Not only had he obtained permission, but he had brought expensive linen and offered the use of his own personal sepulcher, a newly hewn tomb located in a garden at the foot of Golgotha. The women had watched as Joseph and Nicodemus pulled the crown of pronged thorns from the head it had so cruelly desecrated. From the garden well, 
Jars of cool water were brought to wash away the blood, dirt, and sweat. The raw wounds were filled with herbs and ointment. Then the body was wrapped in clean linen, sprinkled with myrrh, and after it was placed in the new tomb, a great stone was rolled across the entrance. The coming of the Jewish Sabbath at sunset had sent the women weeping and exhausted to their Jerusalem dwellings. Most of them were natives of Galilee who had followed Jesus to Jerusalem for the Passover. They were, for the most part, women of influence, and some of them had considerable means. Some are described as women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities when Jesus was in Galilee. One was Mary Magdalene, from whom Jesus had cast seven evil spirits. One was Mary, mother of James the Less and Joses, and there was Salome, the mother of the apostles John and James. Another was Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, and there were many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Here in Jerusalem, these women had spent the Sabbath in abject sorrow and unrestrained mourning. It was as though the light of the universe had suddenly been extinguished, being too distressed to eat and with scarcely any sleep. They waited anxiously for the first day of the week when they might return to the tomb. These were the circumstances which had brought them to this quiet hour before the dawn. Laden with vessels of sweet spices, they were hastening to minister to Jesus for the last time. As they approached the garden, they whispered among themselves, how would they manage to roll away the great stone? Only when they drew near were they able to perceive in the dim light that someone had been there before them. The stone was rolled away. A dark, gaping hole exposed the entrance which the stone had previously covered the grave been robbed? Frantically, the women crowded into the sepulcher. The tomb was dark, but suddenly the interior was illuminated by the presence of two glorious personages in shining garments. The women were so frightened they bowed down to the earth, trembling and panic-stricken. Then they heard the words, be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again.
frightened women waited to hear no more. The scripture says they fled the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. In a panic of haste, they rushed back to the sleeping city. The apostles must be told. Mary Magdalene apparently ran ahead of the others and was the first to reach the house where the apostles were staying. She had been so frightened by the experience at the tomb that she was able to tell only half of what had happened. The thing which impressed her most was the tragic declaration, he is not here. She completely missed the testimony concerning the resurrection. As she breathlessly delivered her report of the angelic messengers, the majority of the disciples refused to believe her. Only Peter and John responded. Even when the other women arrived to confirm Mary's story, the body of the disciples continued to call the reports merely idle tales and believe them not. Meanwhile, John and Peter raced toward Golgotha while Mary Magdalene followed after them. John was the first to arrive at the garden, but he hesitated to enter the tomb. Peter came up and promptly entered. John then followed him. Before them, just as the women had testified, they saw the empty crypt, the burial clothes scattered around, and the napkin that was about his head wrapped together in a place by itself. But they saw no divine messengers. Except for Mary Magdalene, who had caught up with them, no one else was in the garden. Mary watched John and Peter as they slowly came out of the tomb and departed. Left alone, Mary could not contain her grief. She leaned against the facing of the cliff in which the sepulchre had been hewn and gave vent to her flood of sorrow. For some reason, even while weeping, she felt constrained to look once again into the tomb. She did not enter, but peered through the entrance. Suddenly she saw two personages just as before. They spoke to her. Woman, why weepest thou? Her answer disclosed how completely she had missed their first message concerning the resurrection. She said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. The messengers could have said more, but they did not. Someone else had come into the garden. The newcomer was standing behind Mary. As she turned away from the entrance to the tomb, she vaguely perceived him through her flood of tears. Almost automatically, she assumed he must be the gardener. Hopefully, she thought he might have opened the tomb and removed the body, and therefore, he would know where she could find it. Sir, she said, if thou have borne him hence, Tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. The tall personage looked down at the grief-stricken figure and spoke just one word. The soft tone of his voice carried a message of tenderness and love.
Mary. Startled by the shock of recognition, Mary gasped out, Rabboni. Instinctively, she rushed toward him, but he restrained her and said gently, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and your God. Then he was gone. For the second time that early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene ran with all speed to the house where the apostles were staying. But this time, she had the full message, He is risen! He is risen! Excitedly, she told them that she had seen Jesus alive. He had spoken to her. Then, gradually, the bloom of animation wilted within her. She watched the faces of the apostles. She could read in their eyes the specter of disbelief. They thought she was lying. But from this moment on, the events of the day began to fall one upon another thick and fast. Suddenly the apostles were surrounded by the other women who declared that Jesus had appeared unto them also. Apparently, after briefly reporting to his father, Jesus had returned to these faithful women to give them the same personal witness he had given Mary. He appeared among them suddenly and said, All hail. The women were overjoyed with the glorious evidence of his living presence. He allowed them to come close to him and touch him. The scripture says they clasped him by the feet and worshipped him. Even so, it was almost too much to believe. Jesus said to them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Jesus did not wait for his disciples to go to Galilee. Sometime that very day he appeared to Peter. This must have been a staggering experience for the chief of the apostles who had denied his master thrice in the passion of that dreadful hour before the third cock crew. None but God could know the flood of relief which came to this great Galilean fisherman as he received from the resurrected Son of God the assurance that he was still an acceptable servant. Later that same day, Jesus came alongside of Cleopas and another disciple as they made their four-mile journey to a small nearby town called Emmaus. Both of the men were melancholy, somber, and sad. 
While withholding his glory and identity from them, Jesus said, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another, as ye walk and are sad? They assumed he must be a stranger in Jerusalem, and so they related in detail all that had happened during the past three treacherous days. When they were through, Jesus began to quote the ancient scriptures beginning at Moses and proved that all they had told him was in fulfillment of prophecy. So impressed were the two disciples that they begged the stranger to stay with them at Emmaus. He consented, and at the evening meal, he took bread and blessed it and gave it to them. The disciples noticed that ever since this stranger first began talking to them, they had been filled with strange and wonderful feelings. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. The two disciples gathered up their belongings and rushed back to Jerusalem far faster than they had come. Even though it was night, they hastened to the apostles and the other disciples to testify that they had seen Jesus alive. Apparently, some of the first who heard their story would not believe, and so they made their way to the inner circle of the apostles who were eating behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. The apostles received their testimony with gladness and exclaimed excitedly, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. But even while they talked with Cleopas and his companion, something happened which struck terror to the heart of every man in the room. The scripture says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, 
beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. The disciples listened, scarcely believing their senses, but filled with an inexpressible joy as they verified over and over that the scene before them was real. Finally, Jesus performed a sacred ordinance. He breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Then he left them. A short time later, one of the apostles who had missed this thrilling experience returned. It was Thomas. Almost in a chorus, the other ten bore witness to what they had seen. Incredulous and shocked, Thomas looked at them scornfully and said, Except I shall see in his hands the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. It was eight days later, the entire eleven apostles were together in their room. Suddenly, Jesus was there. Turning on Thomas, he said, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. The astonished Thomas was stunned and speechless. Finally, a spontaneous confession spilled from his lips as he exclaimed, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Later, the Savior appeared to seven of the apostles near the Sea of Tiberias, where he dined with them after the miraculous draught of fishes. Altogether, Jesus ministered to his disciples at various times for 40 days. On one occasion, he appeared before them on the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. On another occasion, he allowed a multitude of 500 followers to see him. On a separate occasion, he appeared to James alone. Finally, he made an appointment to meet the Twelve near Jerusalem. The scripture says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. 
and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them, and carried up into heaven. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Easter story was compiled from the scriptures by W. Cleon Skousen. Narration, Francis Urey. Production, Gordon Johnson. This is Dick Alsop speaking. This has been a KSL Special Affairs presentation. <laughs>